Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. The last couple of episodes of Mavericks and Misfits, I was up in Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, and was able to record uh, a couple of broadcasts, or podcasts actually, up there. And it was such a beautiful, serene place, just looking out over a lake, and lots of quiet, um, lots of sunshine, um, and just was able to take a few days a couple of weeks ago and listen to the voice of the Lord. And it was just really nice. Well, I'm back in Atlanta now and happy to continue the vein of thought that have been um, the theme of the last two episodes. And if you haven't listened to the last two episodes of Mavericks and Misfits, I'm actually going to encourage you to press pause right now on this episode and go back and listen to them because they laid the groundwork for what I want to continue to build on today. We're talking about a very important subject. And the subject is debated uh, by Christians who equally love the Lord. Um, This is not an us versus them. This is a difference of view, a difference of doctrinal view uh, by people that are born again. Um, Many, many, many of my friends disagree with me on this issue. And uh, that's okay. We've learned to run together, love well, and um, chase after the glory of God in our generation. But we just happen to differ on our conclusions on the issue of whether or not a true believer can fall away from the faith. Um, It is a vital question that has a yes or no answer. (laughs) It's not a sliding scale. It's not a, well, some can, some can't. It's a theological issue. Both of both positions can't be right. It can't be yes and no. It can't be yay and nay. It's either a yes. True believers can fall away from the faith and they can uh, commit apostasy and forfeit their salvation. Or the answer is no, a genuinely converted person cannot forfeit their faith, commit apostasy, and therefore be damned. And so my position, uh, I'll just tell you at the beginning, is no, that can't happen. If you're truly born again, you can never forsake the faith because embedded in true, genuine conversion is the element of God-sustained endurance that you will endure to the end. doesn't mean that God endures for you. It does mean that God in you empowers you to endure. And if God is truly in you, you will endure. And of course, the question arises, well, what about all those people that were on fire for Jesus? Uh, They believed theologically, they worshiped, they served, they sacrificed, they gathered with the saints, they looked at the part, talked at the part, said all the right things, did all the right things. They were there for 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. And then one day or one season is usually how it works. They pulled back from the faith. They started questioning the faith. They started disbelieving what they had affirmed in previous generations, even to the extent where they renounced the faith or renounced the fundamentals of the faith and therefore no longer consider themselves a Christian or trying to hold on to the name Christian. They say, well, I'm a Christian, but I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I no longer believe in the virgin birth. I no longer believe in the resurrection and then so on and so on. What about those people? Did Jeff, are you telling me that those people go to heaven when they die? And I'm saying, no, (laughs) they don't. Anybody that renounces the faith doesn't go to heaven when they die. Okay, well, Jeff, um, then it's clear that they lost their salvation because if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says they'll be saved. Well, I, I hear what you're saying, but the problem is, is that the confession with the mouth, the profession, um, the belief 
um, that is valid, that is heaven born, that results in a true justification before God also clearly in scripture carries with it the element of enduring unto the end. And so what I say about those people who I just described who lived for maybe decades and then renounced the faith or apostatized or, you know, walked away. Um, I don't, I don't tell you they lost their salvation. I tell you they never had it. And today I'm going to share with you many verses that will show you why I believe this is the right and biblical conclusion. So uh, I appreciate you tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits if you're a first time listener. Um, we're grateful. We just, um, have established this podcast to connect with people who have a thirst for truth, who want authenticity in the church, who refuse to be defined, limited, boxed in by a denominational standard. And we are unapologetically biblical, but we're also unapologetically people of this Holy Spirit. And so we believe in spirit and truth, and we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. And that makes us a little bit of a maverick because we don't fit in a perfect system um, or a, a system that pretends to be perfect. And uh, we find ourselves at times misfits, but we're happy misfits. We're not mad. We're not raising a fist. We're not saying we're the only ones that have the truth. We're just saying, hey, look, we're, we're chasing after God. We don't have it figured out yet. He's too big for us to fully comprehend, but he's so glorious that we can't quit pursuing him. And so when you do that, you live a life of constant transformation, constant spiritual growth, constantly having to evaluate why will you, you believe what you believe and why do you practice what you practice as a follower of Jesus. And so welcome to the podcast. I left off last time, <clears throat> excuse me, and I promised you that when we began this next podcast, which is today's, that I'd pick back up where we left off in the book of First John chapter 2. And First John 2.19 is crucial to the question of whether or not somebody that is truly born again can walk away from the faith. It may, 1 John 2, 19, may actually be the nail that we hang our belief system on. It's not the only verse, but it's probably the strongest statement in Scripture that lets us know that those who defect from the faith were never actually in the faith. They were just playing the part. They were self-deceived or they were intentionally deceptive, but they were never actually in. So let me read the verse. I always read from the English Standard Version, unless I say otherwise. I'm always in the ESV. And 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So the Apostle John is writing about people who depart from the faith. He's talking about people that once believed and taught orthodox doctrine, whose profession of faith was straight in line with what true faith is represented by. And then later on, they defected. They left. They committed apostasy. And John says the reason why they left was because they were never really of us. They were never really born again. They were never really in the faith. And he says, and he, he's saying this three ways in, in one verse. He says, if they had been of us, if they had been truly born again, if they had been saved, if they had been a genuinely converted Christian, they would have continued with us. There you have the principle that saving faith includes enduring faith. And if you have any questions, his next statement even clarifies it further. But they went out. So these people actually defected. 
they actually committed apostasy. They actually recanted. They actually said, no, I'm not following Jesus as Lord. So they one day they're saying Jesus is Lord and they're walking with the church and they're playing the part and they look like Christians, smell like Christians, sing like Christians, read like Christians, believe like Christians. And then the next season, they say, no, we don't believe that anymore. Uh, we're not living that anymore. We, we were deceived or we were misguided or we were um, ignorant. And so they recant what they formally said they believed. And John says when they do that, it becomes plain. It is clear that they are not of us. So John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2, 19, says that one of the evidences of genuine conversion is that you will endure. And if you do not endure, you didn't lose your genuine conversion. You never had it. That's, that's as plain as it can be said in one verse. And so, again, let me just highlight this again. I'm not going to stay the whole time on this verse, but John's making several key points here. Some that were once among or with the believers who, who are abiding, those believers who are abiding, some of them who, who had been among those believers later defected. And this is the summary essence of the spirit of apostasy. It's an abandonment. It's a rejection or a renouncing of Christ and or his teachings. And so John's own conclusion, and again, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is not just John's opinion. This is God's word. And the conclusion is that those who abandoned the faith were never truly Christians. They were not of us. <laughs> it doesn't get any clearer than that. So John teaches that had those people been truly converted, they would not have abandoned the faith. And then he says, in quote, they would have continued with them. So, guys, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I don't need to make it complicated. This is not a comp. Take the Bible. What would this have meant to the first century reader? John's actually writing a letter, and later it becomes scripture. But the first century reader would have said, oh, yeah, that guy that we used to call brother so-and-so who walked away from us six months ago, our apostle is saying the reason why he walked away is because he was never really in. And so John says that when people defect from the faith, it proves they were never truly among the people of faith. They never were. And guys, again, this is a clear statement anywhere in Scripture that precisely informs us that those who fall away were never truly one of us. They were never a truly converted believer. And there's no other way to interpret these words, not, not with honesty and integrity. Um, so strikingly, I mean, John's summary is that the abandonment by those who defected was just plain evidence that they were not true Christians. That's what he said. He said that it might become plain that they are not of us. John says it's obvious when somebody defects from the faith, it's plain that they were never of us. And John actually cites their apostasy as plain visible evidence that they never belong to the same thing, Christ and his bride, to which John and those who are abiding belong. By the way, later on in that same passage in verses 1 John 2, verses 22 through 25, um, he says that one component of those that possess eternal life is that they will abide in their original profession of faith in Jesus and, and never deny Christ. So you ought to really just study 1 John 2, verses 19 through 25. And just ask the Holy Spirit to, to show you, I mean, is this the plain teaching of Scripture? And if it is, why are we declaring that true believers can, can commit apostasy and renounce the faith. When John said they can't, 
He didn't say that people in the church can't. He said that the true believers in the church can't. And you've got to remember, there's all sorts of parables that describe and in teachings from Jesus that describe that at the end of the age, there's going to be a shocking revelation of people that were in the church that were never actually converted. So you've got to recognize in whatever local church you are in and in the big C church all around the globe right now, there are people who have believed with the mind. They have said with the mouth. They have conformed to a behavioral theological standard and they've never been born again. And it will be proven later on that they are not truly Christians. Something will happen to expose that they are not believers. And some of that exposing will be that they will commit apostasy. They will renounce the faith later on. And the Bible is clear. They do that because they never had true, genuine, securing, enduring faith. Um, let's think about what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Pardon me while I take a swig of coffee here. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 10, that the falling away, he's describing it. Jesus is describing the great falling away, a falling away. He, he said it's going to be visible. What he describes is visible. There'll be a visible falling away that Jesus describes in part in Matthew 24. And those who once profess Christ will renounce him. It says, guys, this is 100% an undebatable element of the end times. So somebody may say that this teaching from Jesus proves that truly saved people can fall away. Yet remember what Paul said about these very same people. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, that these same people who fall away, they have a form of godliness, but without the true saving, sanctifying, and enduring power of God. Do you remember what he said? He said, understand this. This is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Paul said, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather lovers of God. And then he describes them. Verse five, having the appearance of godliness having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Hold on a second. So Paul is describing, remember, in the last days, he's describing the last days. So this is going to get progressively more obvious and intense as we approach the end of the age. And he says at the in the last days, and he describes this, I mean, you would think these are awful pagan people who love themselves, who love their money. They're proud, they're arrogant, they're abusive, they're disobedient to their parents, they're ungrateful, they're unholy, and so on and so on, so, without self-control. They're brutal, they don't love good. They're swollen with conceit. They love their pleasure that, rather than lovers of God. And then he says, yeah, and they'll have the appearance of godliness, but they'll deny its power. What does that mean? It means on the outside, they will appear to others to be godly people. But he just described what's going on on the inside of their hearts. And he says they will appear godly, but they won't have the power of godliness. They won't have the power that belongs to those who are born again. They won't have the save the power to overcome sin. They won't have the power to be sanctified. They won't have the power to endure and mark it down. These are the very same people who will, despite their appearance of godliness, they will deny Jesus. They will deny him. 
So guys, right there again, the, all I'm doing here is I'm, I'm saying, hey, let's acknowledge the obvious. Not everybody that says they're born again are born again. And so when the great falling away happens, it's not happening with genuinely converted people. It's, having, it's happening with people who have attached themselves to the church. They've attached themselves to Christianity on some level. They have verbally said, we believe this. They, in some seasons, have even appeared to be sacrificial and serving and continuing. But they're not saved. I mean, guys, let's think. The, the perfect case study is Judas. You realize with me that Judas walked with Jesus for three and a half years and nobody had, even in the very night of the betrayal, nobody had any clue that Judas was the bad guy. Nobody knew. Jesus knew. But nobody else knew. Judas preached. Judas prophesied. Judas cast out demons. Judas oversaw the treasury of the disciples. He was that entrusted by the disciples and by, and Jesus wasn't fooled, but Jesus allowed him to do it. But everybody thought Judas was one of the good guys. And of course, we know that Judas condemned himself when he proved that he was never genuinely converted when he sold out the son of God. He had an appearance of godliness, but denied the power. And so that hasn't stopped. That hasn't stopped. That same kind of spirit is still working within people. So I want you to understand that I am not teaching in these episodes that um, people don't fall away from the visible professing church. They do. And when they do, they prove they were never born again. That is what scripture teaches. And that's what I'm establishing here. And so let's, let's go a little bit further because one of the most important things that we've got to come to grips with is the doctrine of justification. That is the theological description of the teaching of the Bible and what it means to be saved. Um, we would call that when we go through Bible college and seminary soteriology. It's the study of salvation. And so I obviously in, you know, my remaining 15 minutes or so in today's podcast, I can't go de in depth on the doctrine of salvation. Uh, but I can give you a few things that you need to understand about what happens when somebody's saved. So let me load up on another sip of coffee. And let me read to you Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, because this is important. A true Christian is marked by God and sealed by the Spirit. Don't miss that phrase, sealed. I want you to think in your mind what it means to be sealed into something. So this is what Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says. You also, speaking to Christians, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is a huge verse when it comes to this issue of being secured, being sealed when you are born again. So this is the teaching at the moment of true saving faith, that new Christian is marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is promised to us as believers as a deposit from God. 
a deposit from God. When God makes a deposit, that's what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit the moment you're saved. And that deposit, according according to Ephesians 1, verse 14, guarantees our heavenly inheritance. And it does so that it is unto the praise of God's own glory. So guys, I want you to hear that just based on this verse, I'm going to read it again. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal, and he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance is until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In other words, until the end when we are fully, finally delivered into the presence of God. So you have a seal, you have a deposit, you have a guarantee of your inheritance that lasts until the redemption of the body, until we are fully, finally glorified. So let me just let me just give you this. In order for a true Christian to be able to commit apostasy or lose their salvation, God would have to, first of all, erase the mark he would have to withdraw the spirit. He would have to cancel the deposit. He would have to break his promise. Remember, it's the promised Holy Spirit. Who made the promise? Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit when I leave. And so God would have to break his promise. He would have to revoke the guarantee. He would have to withdraw the inheritance. He would have to also, remember, it's to the praise of his glory. He would have to forego the praise and diminish the praise of his glory in doing so. That's what would have to happen. And it's in complete contradiction to what the scriptures say. So if we believe that a person is truly born again and then can lose it, God would have to scramble. I mean, you can also almost picture, I don't mean to be irreverent here, but it's almost like the Lord's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. When I, when I wrote their name in the Lamb's Book of Life and eternity passed, when I chose them before the foundation of the world, I had no idea this would happen. Now I've got to erase the mark. I got to withdraw the spirit. I got to cancel the deposit. I'm going to have to break my promise. I'm going to have to revoke the guarantee and withdraw their inheritance. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to forego the praise and diminish my glory. Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? How in the world could that happen when the eternal God who knows the end from the beginning is the one who initiates the prom, uh, process of salvation anyway? Salvation didn't originate with you mustering up the faith one day to turn from your sin and become a Christian. Salvation, from God's perspective, began before there ever was a physical you, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. So it makes no sense that God would choose somebody and then later unchoose them because of what they did. Why would he choose them if he knew ahead of time that they were going to abandon the faith? The fact of the matter is, is he doesn't unchoose anybody that those that are truly justified, born again through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, are eternally saved. They are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the redemption of the body. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up with this last section of Scripture. And yeah, we're going to do another episode on this. I never thought I'd do four episodes, but we're going to do four episodes on this because I feel the Holy Spirit on this. I'm challenging some of you to evaluate what you've been taught I don't care if you've been saved 40 years. I want you to, I want you to be a big boy, a big girl. Maybe you got it wrong. Listen, I got some doctrines wrong that I had to repent for. I used to preach against the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when my Bible 
enlightened my understanding, I was faced with a test. Do I humble myself and admit I had been wrong all those years? Or I just say, bless God, I planted my flag in this camp a long time ago, and I'm going to stick to it no matter what the Bible says. So I believe better things about you. And listen, Jesus is coming back. I don't want to stand and give an account for why I, I believed or promoted a doctrine when he showed me in his word that that belief and that doctrine was wrong. It doesn't make me a, a, a heretic. It just means I was wrong. What would be bad is if once I was convinced I was wrong, if I just stuck to my guns and said, well, this is just where I've been. And this is where I'm going to stay. And so some of you that have been taught that a believer can lose his salvation and that she can commit apostasy at the end of the age. I'm just asking you, what do you do with these verses? I'm going to deal with Hebrews 6 later, guys. I, uh, that can't be your only argument because what I'm doing is in these podcasts, I'm giving you a ton of scripture. And usually when I talk to somebody, they're like, yeah, but what about Hebrews 6? What about Hebrews 6? What about Hebrews 6? And that's kind of the only go-to passage. And I'm saying, okay, I'll deal with Hebrews 6, but you're going to have to deal with all these other verses. And so let me give you some, probably the strongest words that Jesus ever gave concerning the eternal security of the Christian and the activity of God's sovereign election. Listen to the words of your Savior. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is in John 6. I'm going to finish up here today. John 6, verses 37 through 40. Listen to this. All that the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me. That's election. You don't have to love that doctrine. <laughs> you don't have to like the word election, but you still got to answer the question, what did Jesus mean when he said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, that's our act of faith. So you've got balance there. You've got God's choosing and our responding. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. Okay, the Father gives Jesus the elect. The elect respond in faith and come to Jesus. Jesus says, when the elect respond in faith and come to him, he will never cast them out. That's what he said. I will never cast them out. I will never cast them out. I will never cast them out. And then verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, here's God's will that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. So Jesus says, the security of the believer is not in the believer. The security of the believer is in me, Jesus says. He says, the father gives them to me. I secure them when they come in faith. I will never cast them out. I will lose nothing. So that means you can't squirm your way out of his hand. I will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up at the last day. That's the, that's the final resurrection. So Jesus says, I, I receive them from the father, the Christians. They come to me in faith. I keep them and I guard them and I will do so until the day of the final resurrection. And then he says again, for added emphasis, verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The, I don't think that there is any stronger teaching from Jesus about the security of the believer more so than John six verses 37 through 40. Um, I think more than any other teaching that he gives these words clearly connect the eternal security of the Christian with the activity of God's sovereign election. Now you, you don't have to be a Calvinist to believe that. You just got to take the Bible at face value. Quit letting terms and phrases and labels scare you away from truth. 
Jesus Christ said the Father gives him the believers. And the believers who are given to Jesus will come to him by faith. And those who come to him by faith will never be cast out by him. He cannot lose them because the will of the Father is that everybody who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Not a five-year life, not a 10-year life, not a 25 or an 80-year life, but eternal life. That means the moment of true belief lasts when? Until when? Until he's raised up on the last day and the day of resurrection. And so whom God chooses, God saves. And whom God saves, God keeps until the end. That's what Jesus teaches. And so we're not arguing with Jeff. We're not arguing with some theological tribe. We're not, we're not arguing with Calvinists. Um, we have to say, what did Jesus mean? And it's, I mean, you almost have to hire a bunch of seminary professors to confuse you over what he's saying there. And if you want it in more plain English, I think John 10. Yeah, let's just finish up in John 10. John 10 verses 25 through 30 are the most plain. This is just plain talk. And it's not overly theological. Because in John 10, 25 through 30, Jesus declares, by the way, with no question that he's talking about anything other than salvation. You read John 10, 25 through 30, he's talking about salvation. And so he declares that nobody who has eternal life can be removed from his hand and be lost unto perishing. This is what he said. John 10, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Hold on there. Jesus says the reason people don't believe is because they're not his. He says, my sheep, verse 27, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Um, that's just so practically strong. So believing unto eternal life, Jesus says in those verses in John 10, is the result of being chosen as one of Jesus' sheep. So Jesus declares that those who do not believe in him don't do so, because they are not his sheep. And then Jesus describes those who are his sheep as, as those who, one, hear his voice, two, are known by him, three, follow him. Guys, not to get too technical, but each of these verbs, the verb hear, the verb know, and the verb follow, in the Greek language are in that present active indicative verb tense. Woo, there you go for you Bible nerds. They're in the present active indicative verb tense. This verb tense means that these statements are present facts that cannot be questioned. So true, true sheep are presently known by Jesus. They presently hear his voice. They presently follow him. And friends, those, those who don't do so, they're not his sheep. So Jesus then teaches that those who, who know him, hear him and follow him and will never perish. And that word perish means in the original language, it means to be destroyed or lost. So the clear teaching that is, is that one of the components of eternal life that Jesus gives is that those who receive eternal life will never be lost or destroyed. He says he keeps his hand. He keeps and protects that which he saves. And he further describes this security that he's talking about here 
is being safeguarded in his own hand and capable of being snatched out of that hand. And if that's not enough, he further reinforces the concept of our security by stating that those whom he saves are also in the Father's hand. Guys, picture this. The, the picture he's given us in, in John 10, 25 through 30 is that of sheep being eternally rescued and protected by a double-handed divine guarding. So in order for those who are known by him, rescued by him, hear his voice, following him, in order for them to ever be lost, all of what Jesus teaches here has to be relegated to some kind of conditional temporary effect. And that's not what he's teaching. Jesus actually says it's the exact opposite. When he teaches that what he has given them is eternal life from which no person can ever be lost or destroyed. My goodness, I don't know how we miss this stuff. I mean, Jesus says, nobody's able to snatch them from my hand. And friends, that would include you and me. Once we're in the saving hand of Jesus, truly there, not even we ourselves can snatch ourselves out. And that's what he is teaching here. So lots of scripture for you to think through. And I'm going to do one more episode on this. Please know my heart on this. I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm trying to help people step into truth. That's all my ministry is about. Um, I love so many people from so many different tribes who disagree with me on various things. I'm not, man, I am so, God by his grace has outgrown me out of being one of those Christians that's always looking for a rumble, looking for a fight, looking to try to throw verbal grenades out there to start a, you know, a problem. I just don't do that. But what I do recognize is that when we have debatable doctrines, they require an intense study of the scripture to clear up the debate. And so what I would say is, hey, Go through the scriptures that I've left you with today. Ephesians 1, John 6, John 10, 1 John 2, 19. You go through them. If you want a copy of these notes, hit me up at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Email me directly, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Say, send me the notes, and I will send you the notes that day, more than likely. If not that day, then the next day. Um, And you can go through these because it may take you some time to work through them yourself, read them, study them. But listen, um, don't do this in a way that just presumes I ha- Jeff's got to be wrong. Just say, well, if Jeff's right, Lord, show me. And, and it needs to be more than, well, I just disagree. <laughs> you, you can't just say, well, I don't believe that because we don't have the right to just look at the Bible and not answer the Bible with Bible. Because if I'm wrong, I want to know. Hit me up with the scriptures that show me I am wrong. And while you're doing it, answer the scriptures that I've given you today. It's not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not jousting with you. I'm just saying that's what we have to do. When you want to clear up a theological debate, you have to use theology. You have to use the Bible. It doesn't matter what your favorite pastor, teacher, podcaster, or leader has ever told you. Just love them, but go to the Bible yourself and say, what does the Bible say? So that's what we're doing on Mavericks and Misfits today. And I appreciate you tuning in and give me an extra five minutes of your time. We will talk to you next time. God bless. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography titled Figuring It Out As I Go shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24 and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.